I'm Dr. Gene Hemsler, and you're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. For more than 25 years, my associates and I have been providing straightforward, no-nonsense advice for your financial questions. Email us at drgene at hemsler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R dot com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, July 20th, 2019. Economic health of this nation has been four essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline in the dollar is It's a late rally on Wall Street. Too big to fail. Growing the economy. Growing the economy. It's amazing what's been going on with the economy. Welcome. Welcome. This is Monito. Monito. Good morning. What up, fam? You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most respected money show on radio. I'm Troy Harmon here today with Casey Smith and Jennifer Thomas. And you're right. What up, fam? Still, still going with the what up, fam? Huh? Oh, had dude, to die off. I, I'm, I'm uh, probably the... I, I am woke. <laughs> Listen to this. The, there's Jennifer. See there? Uh, if, uh, if I can be woke, she can be woke. Hey, we're all that? woke. Uh, there you go. Uh, I was mean, lucky I'm to be awoke. I'm trying to, yeah, it's nap time for me. That's I'm right, really I was about so to say, it's after lunchtime, it's, yeah. yeah. There you go. No, I'm I'm trying to be the, the hippest non-millennial around. Um, and you how's know, that got, working for Not you? well. I mean, I got I got uh, cuffs in my pants, but uh, my black socks don't complement it well. I mean, I could wear sandals. Are cuffs in or out? Well, you see, everybody's walking around, look like they got capri pants on. Yeah. Yes, but it's Men, not a women, true cuff. It's not a cuff, roll. though. They're no. just like... Yeah, but it's, it's the same thing. It's <laughs> yeah, rolled twice. See there? See, See how what unhip you are? And I'm, you're a millennial. I'm, I'm so unhip that it, I got cuffs. Check me out. <laughs> you do? Yeah, and no, no socks. I'm, I'm coming... No, no socks. Yeah. Never. Never, never any socks. Sock. Not in the summertime. It's too hot. Well, I get that. Man, if I didn't wear socks, my feet would stink like nobody's well, I'm business. not taking my shoes off, so... Yeah, I'm sure okay, she'll love me Okay, we need to get this. into the financials <laughs> part. Oh, this <laughs> is really We have <laughs> derailed already. Yeah. Anyway. All right, enough hipness. Yep. Let's uh, talk about what we came here to speak on, and that is financial markets and all things uh, financial, economic, whatever. So this week, the S&P 500 uh, gave us... Very little. Negative. Point zero four percent. I bet you were wrong on your, your call last week then. Uh, well, yeah. I was uh, the same old broken record. I always say the market's going to be up. You know why? Because more often than not, it is. I mean, it's probably the easiest forecast to ever make and be more correct than you generally are when you try real hard. I don't know who was on the show last week. Was it Michael and Shauna? That was. Did either of them say flat? No. No one ever says flat except Bill Laco. Well. It's pretty pretty close to flat. It really is. This is about as close as you get to flat. I think one week, one week in the last two years, we did have a flat week. It's very rare that you see that. Consumer staples this week were up 1.58%, the big winner. Uh, materials, information technology, and utilities followed close behind. Um, if you look on the other end, energy lost 3.06%. Communication services was down 1.04%. And real estate had a little life squeezed out of it, 0.72% negative. So uh, not huge uh, not huge returns. Uh, you look at year-to-date, um, 
S&P 500 is up almost 21%. Who would have thought we'd be there, you know, given... You would have have asked me on December 26th, or actually, I guess December 26th was a big update, right? Yeah, it was a bit of a rebound. uh, About like a 1,000 points or something like that on the Dow. Right, Um, But prior to that... Two days before that, Christmas Eve, I would have said, no way, would be up 20%. Yeah, it was... that was the end of our almost 20% loss uh, in the fourth quarter of 2018 that you're yeah. referring to. Uh, if you look at what's been going on year-to-date, again, 20.91% on the S&P 500. Information technology up 31.93%. Uh, consumer discretionary is up 26%. Real estate, another big winner, 22.74%. Nothing is negative. The worse it gets, health care which has been in that basement seat for a little while now, uh, is up 8.35%. So. Yeah, we, we continue to see this divergence between kind of the more growth-oriented sectors and the more, I guess, value or, or more stable sectors like right. healthcare and consumer staples and things of that nature. At some point, wouldn't you think that would have to fix itself? I mean, we don't expect value to be down forever do we? No. If you look over the last 12 months, too, and this would include that uh, 20%, almost 20% decline uh, that you were just referencing, uh, the S&P 500 is up 8.65%. The biggest winner, utilities, which is one of those clear value, uh, high dividend payout type of uh, sectors. Real estate, another one that's uh, big on the payout. In fact, for a REIT, it's uh, the law that they have to pay out 90% of their earnings. Yeah. Um, and consumer staples, the three biggest uh, value-type plays in the market are all uh, 19% or better in the last 12 months, while the overall market is up 8.65%. And the only negative in that measure is uh, energy that's lost 14.3 percent energy is a is kind of its own animal yeah especially yeah, now there's there's a lot going on it's a managed market is sure. about the best way we can so you view that. those as more like your um defensive type position they so are. they're going to do better in a down market overall than they are right which makes, and, makes complete sense we had that big downturn in the fourth quarter last year and and you see the three sectors that are at the top that are all you know close to 20 percent returns over the last 12 months right which includes that 20 percent down period nearly 20 percent down period in the fourth quarter of last year right and it's it's pretty logical as as to why that might be if you think about it utilities most people are going to do what they can to keep the lights on at home uh, real estate, most people are going to pay their rent. These are all basic things. Mm-hmm. They're not discretionary monies. Uh, consumer staples, another one of those things. You're still going to buy ketchup. That's right. Ketchup and toothpaste and Peanut paper butter. products. Yeah, yeah, all those are, are going to fall squarely into that consumer staple space. And, um, you know, and it doesn't hurt at all uh, when you've got low interest rates. And these companies generally pay out a pretty uh, attractive dividend. Yeah. Uh, so you and know the expectation if interest rates continue to decline, which is kind of what the, the Fed is projecting. We haven't gotten interest rates yet, but you would expect those sectors to be poised to to do well, just even if for no, no other reason than people looking for yield. Right, uh, Casey. I'm glad you brought that up. I I was looking this morning at uh, the probability of an interest rate cut, and it's it's well over 90 percent that we're likely to see. Uh, interest rates fall at least 25 basis points. In July? In, in July. Okay. It is 54% 
probability that we will see a 50 basis point cut, according to what the, the options market is telling us this week. So explain that to me, because we've gotten pretty good economic data this week in the last couple of weeks um, that would give you some indication that the Fed may at least hold off on any interest rate cuts for the time being. Sure. Why the urgency to cut with the data that's coming back so Well, strong? if you listen to what the Fed's telling you, Number one, you know, there there is some weakening. We see uh, earnings, which we've we're about 10% in the earnings season, with a 0.54% gain uh, in in earnings. Growth is is very muted. Um, one of the other measures that we use uh, to determine growth is inflation. Uh, inflation is a factor of growth. Uh, usually, if you have uh, significant economic growth, uh, it it causes prices to go up. Um, but we're not seeing much of that at right. the moment. A lot of the, the inflation we've seen lately is from uh, from those non-core pieces, food and energy. Right. Uh, you know, you strip it out and the, the core goes down instead of up, which is kind of strange, um, or up instead of down in this case, yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, which is a bit strange. Um, but, uh, I mean, the market is near all-time highs, and yet the the market believes that the Fed will cut, and, and a lot of it is because of the language the Fed has used recently, uh, that they're going to be as, as supportive of economic growth as possible. And I guess if there's, if there's really no inflation, then uh, I guess there's not much harm in cutting, at least a little bit. But is there any, do you think that anything has to do with the, the yield curve being still a little bit inverted on the well on the shorter end anyway at the one you know the anything inside of like one to three months i guess is longer than the 10 year or is higher than the 10 year in terms of yield yeah and you know honestly i've been reading a good bit of information lately and and basically what you have to think of with the yield curve is this is the market's expectations market meaning me and you on average as investors we drive the yield curve to some degree You're giving us a lot of power there Troy. well you and i drive the as, market i didn't know as that. a group i mean you and i are part of this jennifer you too probably more you than out. the rest of us okay. yeah, yeah cool. all of us anybody that's an investor all the woke folk the woke all of us woke people <laughs> Anyway, um, so what the what the market actually reflects is the expectations of investors, and those institutional investors are going to make more of an impact than the retail investors, obviously, because they have uh, more more money in the market, more invested. So, um, what you're seeing is these probabilities that that are in the options market are also reflected in the yield curve, the Treasury yield curve. So, basically. What they expect is six months from now, yields on that three month are going to be lower than they are on the three month today. Yeah. Gotcha. So you know, if, if you look, concentrate really more on the short maturity end of the uh, the yield curve, it's it's actually a bit of a better indicator of recessions to come than that ten minus two that we've looked at for you know, a long period of time. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, that that uh, kind of gets us. Uh, back to the question, why would people think the Fed's going to cut? Well, the Fed's more or less given us that indication. Yep. So anyway, let's uh, let's take a real quick break. When we come back, we'll have a dog of the week and uh, answer some financial questions. Might even talk about a few other financial situations. Stick around. You're listening to Money Talks. 
This week comes to us from Milledgeville, Georgia. Uh, seems a, um, a young lady was having her birthday. It's their 25th birthday, and she ordered a cake from the Dairy Queen. She That's loves. Office. She loves Moana. She's from the South. She might talk a little different than most folks. She went to pick up the cake. Actually, her mother did, and uh, they had made her a marijuana cake. <laughs> It had a pot leaf on one side, and it had a My Little Pony. She had told them that she liked cartoons, so they put a My Little Pony on the other side. <laughs> the My Little Pony is smoking a joint. No way. Yeah. Has this a pot did not leaf, Has a pot leaf tattooed on its posterior. Somebody at the Dairy Queen. And it has red bloodshot eyes. <laughs> But the the mother thought it was so funny, she just went ahead and bought the yeah. cake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can I get another one just like it? Yes. It, it oh, works fine as long as it's not a seven-year-old yeah. that you're talking right. about. Right. <laughs> this was a 25-year-old woman. Uh, she said that next year she's going to uh, get a plain cake. She doesn't want anything. Uh, decorate it. your own. But they thought it was funny. There's pictures out there if somebody wants to go and check it out. I think she posted it to Facebook. But anyway... How Moana turns into marijuana. <laughs> I, I thought this would be good yeah, because we have so many clients that are asking us about pot stocks these days. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, cash it, it in, just go to the dairy It is a constant clean. question. It really is. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you wouldn't serve your children a pot cake, maybe you ought to think about so what you're was, doing So was there pot in the cake or was it just no, on no, the cake? No, it was it an was, ice cream It was cake. just a decoration. Uh, yes. It was an actual Dairy Queens. It's not legal in Georgia yet. I think uh, Mr. Buffett would probably have a problem with one of his, uh, you know, one of his uh, stocks or companies that he owns. Does he own Dairy Queen? Yes. Who, yeah. who, who's the parent? Is Dairy Queen its own entity? Oh uh, yeah, it's really. It's, uh, What's the symbol? By, DQ. No, no, it's not publicly traded. It's you know how Buffett does. Oh, oh, oh. It's fully owned by. Gotcha. Berkshire Hathaway. I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, you know he's diversified. Good it's for still, Warren. It's still a. Um, it's still one of those uh, financial companies because most of its revenue is generated by insurance. But so the uh, next time you go buy a peanut buster parfait, you know that you're helping. I'm, I'm helping support Berkshire. Berkshire there we go. Right. Kelly Lynn's got the picture pulled up here. Yeah, yeah. that <laughs> is. I, I encourage you to go. Yeah, check you should out definitely what a, Google that. That's what a, uh, what a Moana cake by accident. I don't know could if that like. was really an accident. I feel well, like that's one of those. You know, you won't do that. You, you won't put a pot leaf on the cake. <laughs> Moana marijuana. Maybe it was an internal misinterpretation. That's what I'm thinking. Well, and on top of that, I, well, it, if you check it out, they actually did a pretty good job. Whoever the artist mm-hmm. is did a, did a great job. So That's not you, their first pot leaf drawing. <laughs> I have a feeling you might be right. There's not a lot to do in Milledgeville. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, My Little Pony smoking uh, is is a whole different scenario. I don't know. It's yeah, that's that's a good dog there, Troy. That's, I like yeah, that. Yeah. I hadn't uh, seen that. Yeah, well, check it out. There you have it. So uh, let's get back to some financial talk again, I guess, uh, since I've been kicked out of my Sunday school class. <laughs> it's going to be hard to top that one. Yeah. Um, this week we have a situation that we'd like to talk about, and, and uh, we've got some clients that have, that have actually perked up about this one. Uh, Judy and David are concerned about the SECURE Act that passed uh, the House in May. 
Judy and David have very affordable, uh, comfortable assets, I'm sorry, and uh, healthy Roth IRAs, and they have been able to convert in hopes that the accounts will pass to their grandchildren. So the SECURE Act actually eliminates stretch IRAs, and before I delve into this too deeply, I'm going to call on the two experts that we have here, uh, Jennifer and Casey. Uh, would you guys like to, first of all, explain what a stretch IRA and when somebody runs into that situation, and then what's going on? This is an elimination of that, right? Yeah, so basically uh, when, you have, when you own an IRA account, you can pass it to your spouse. So when you die, it can go to your spouse, and the spouse can assume that IRA as, as his or her own um, and meaning that they, they would start mandatory withdrawals at their age, currently 70 and a half. Um, once that spouse passes away or, or if, if a non-spouse inherits an IRA, then currently that beneficiary can stretch the IRA over his or her remaining lifetime. So normally we're talking about somebody, you know, a parent leaving an IRA to a child, right. um, not their spouse, somebody who's, you know, obviously going to be younger than them if it's a child, and so they would have the ability, if it's a 30-year-old, um, to stretch that IRA over, you know, 53.3 years is, is the current table. And then if something happens to them, they can then leave it to their children, and their children begin the same. Well, the, you can only you can stretch only it, one, it time. one time, but then the next, but it can go like up to three generations before it has to. Yeah, be. so you could uh, you could actually inherit an inherited IRA, and then you would end up, you know, taking the same distribution as the. The, the original, original beneficiary. Mm-hmm. So the new deal is yep. uh, you that don't you, get the ability to stretch that, right? You have to take it over a 10-year period of time. It doesn't right. mean that you have to take one-tenth each year. You just have to take right. it all out within a 10-year period of time. Before the end of that period, mm-hmm. right. So it reduces down, and it's going to cause you know, what it could cause. And if you think about if you have somebody right now who, um, you know, usually they're in their late 50s or 60s when their parents pass away Mm -hmm. and you know they may be in their higher earning years where they if they're still working and they're in a higher tax bracket now all of a sudden they've inherited this IRA and they have to pull it out and they're going to be paying more taxes so that's the concern the other concern for um, you know our clients is you know they wanted to help their children and have it last through their lifetime and now they're being forced to pull it out over a 10-year period of time. Um, the ta- you know, and they have to pay taxes in the year that they make the withdrawals. Yeah, that's, it's really, that's the point of the government, right? They correct. want to shorten this up so that right. they can get their tax uh, revenues back quicker. Right? That's the whole idea. But, I mean, in reality, I, I don't know how much this is going to increase government revenues because if you think about I – mean, yes, there are the kind of the higher net worth people that have larger, you know, million-dollar-plus IRAs that maybe their children wouldn't spend it all within 10 years anyway. Um, but I, I gotta figure. many beneficiaries pull it out more or quickly than just the minimum required amount. Right. Okay. Because you can so always like, take more than the minimum requirement. So you could take it all out in the year, first year. If uh-huh. You needed the money. You just had to yeah. pay tax on it in that mm-hmm. year. And again, the point of the minimum requirement uh, uh, distribution to the to the uh, IRA owner is again for tax purposes. Yeah. It, if it were a different kind of an IRA. Well, a Roth, yep. you're not going to have that. You're not going to have that. So things that you could do, you know, in preparation of not having, you know, or being concerned about your children having having to pay higher tax bills is if you're in a lower tax bracket yourself, you could begin converting portions of your 
um, IRA to a Roth. You could begin pulling money, you know, extra money out over and above your uh, required minimum amount without throwing yourself into a higher tax bracket and do that each year and kind of start begin saving that in a non-retirement account. And after, um, that would be after right. tax, right? Mm-hmm. After your income tax yeah. is already paid. Yeah, if I you're, mean, I'm sorry. Roth IRAs are still going to be required to distribute the money within 10 years, just like a traditional IRA. And same same there's, rules apply now. You have to take RMDs from a, from a Roth, Roth if you yeah. inherit it. But there's no tax on it because it's already been paid. But you no longer get the tax-deferred growth. Right. To the um, original owner of a Roth, though, there is no required minimum distribution. Correct. correct. Okay. So, But when they will it to someone else, the, mm-hmm. the gift... Other than a spouse. Yeah, yes. if it's a non-spouse beneficiary, then there there are mandatory withdrawal requirements on All that. Right. There's a little history in this, though, Jennifer. Right. I think you so, mentioned before the show. You know, we were talking about this earlier, and... Um, I did a little bit of research, so I'm not going to say this is, you know, 100% accurate, but um, I remembered, uh, or fortunately, I've been around for a long time. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, I'm older than most of the people here, Uh, but the stretch IRA didn't start until like 2001. Okay. And so prior to that, you had to pull it out, and I, I believe it's over five years. Okay. So this is actually better than it was prior to 2001, but it's not... As good as, as, good as it is currently. Yeah. So we've had like a 20-year period, not quite, but uh, where we've been able to, you know, anybody who had passed was able to transfer the benefici- their IRA to a beneficiary, non-spouse beneficiary, and that beneficiary could stretch it. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, the, in terms of strategy for this, it's really just all about playing the tax table because this money is taxable at, it at some point, been. right? It always has been, probably always will be. I mean, mm-hmm. we're just talking about traditional IRAs, not the Roth right now. Um, so it, it would help to kind of start thinking about this money on an after-tax basis anyway, because you're, you're not going to get 100 cents on the dollar for it after taxes when you need to spend it. So it, the, the question of, you know, Roth conversions has, has always been, well, when is it, should I do a Roth conversion? Well, I don't know. Are you going to be in a higher bracket when you start taking distributions, or are you in a higher bracket now? And or are you trying to just provide inheritance for your children? Right. So, I mean, a Roth is obviously and still going to be a better asset to inherit than a traditional IRA. But do but you, you want to pay the tax have, right. for it mm-hmm. or do you want your kids to have to pay the tax? And yeah. it, it just depends on what bracket you're in at the time. Yeah. It's a, a difficult question and uh, really without your crystal ball. There's there's no set answer. No. And, I mean, we can talk about a, a few more different scenarios that might make sense for somebody to uh, to look at some alternatives, whether it's a Roth conversion or, uh, you know, it, this is really going to be impactful to people that have their IRAs being inherited by trusts. So maybe when we get back, I can just touch on that. Yeah, we'll uh, cover that in just a minute. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk. Stick around. We'll be right back and talk some more Stretch IRA. When you're pregnant, you start reading about the cost of having a baby. When you start reading about the cost of having a baby, you learn about the cost of sending that baby to college and immediately start saving all your money in a 529 plan. When you save all your money in a 529 plan, you save no money in your 401k, thinking your son will get a business degree from Harvard and take care of you in retirement. When you think your son will take care of you in retirement, he changes majors and gets a degree 
degree in jazz studies. When he gets a degree in jazz studies, he moves back home with you and you have to support him. When you have to support him, you don't get to retire. Don't be forced to work through retirement to support your jazz-loving adult son. Stop investing without a plan and upgrade to Money Talks. This is Money Talks. We're back. I'm Troy Harmon with Casey Smith and Jennifer Thomas. And uh, I don't think that I'm going to be able to pull off the hipster act enough that I can move back home with my parents. <laughs> Tell them I got yeah. a jazz studies degree. Yeah, that's going to be a little tough at this stage of the game, I would think. Yeah, I, you know, me, the wife, two kids. I, it's it's probably going to be a couple of dogs too, right? Yeah, yeah, I got a couple of dogs. Yeah, I see. No yeah, and that that probably would be by itself enough to get me kicked out of the house. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, if you have financial questions for us, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can contact us at our question hotline one eight five five four two nine nine one six six. Uh, the way that works, you call, uh, leave your message, uh, recorded message after you hear our recording. Um, we will play that uh, recorded message, your question included, on the air and answer right behind it. If you prefer to talk to a human being, you can call our uh, direct line, 770-429-9166. Ask for our radio show producer. You will get Kelly Lynn, who will uh, be able to help you out and get your question to us. Uh, if you prefer not to use the phone at all, you can email us at drgene at hensler.com. That is spelled D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. Uh, we also have a website, hensler.com, spelled the same way, H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R. Uh, and there are a lot of, uh, inf- there's a lot of information that we've uploaded to the website that would allow you to go on and uh, and pick out certain topics and learn about them in that way as well. If it's a broad enough topic, it probably will answer many of your questions. Um, but again, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, we, uh, in our last segment, we were talking about uh, the end of the stretch IRA. Now, when does this start, Casey? Yeah, so we should have uh, prefaced this in the last segment, but there, it, this has not passed yet. So this is in in Congress right now being deliberated. Um, it has passed the House, from what I understand. It's going to the Senate for, for their uh, ratification of it, um, but nothing has been passed at this point, so we don't really know for sure that this will pass. The president would have to sign it into yeah, law as, as well, right? So right. there's two it, big hurdles. It seems likely like that. that it's going to go through, um, but you know nothing is final yet. Yeah, and in addition to that, it can always change at a later time. Right, that's true. I mean, this you know they change tax laws. Yeah, it's already changed. So. I mean, like <laughs> yeah. you mentioned in the last segment, in 2001, we were at a five-year. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to take it all out within five years. And then they adopted the stretch IRA, and now they're going back to. Say you got to take it in ten years potentially. So, yep. who knows what'll happen? I mean, same thing with with Roth conversions. We have this conversation with clients. There's a risk that if you put your money in the Roth, pay tax on it, that the, the government can say, hey, you know what? Now we're going to tax Roths uh, to some extent. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there would be some pushback on that, but who knows? I, I would be at the front of that. Yeah, line. I mean, yeah, we'll look at uh, me that. Way. You weren't supposed to tax Social Security either, and look at that. And it's up to 85 percent of it is taxable now. So. Right. You know, that's one of those things. That, things change. Yep, the government does. needs to continue uh, being able to pay out 
all the money that it so rightly spends, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's frust- I mean it is frustrating for sure. you know taxpayers and for clients, but just knowing that what we look at is trying to just figure out what's you know we will look at it in your planning situation to help determine how's the best way for you to handle it now that this you know if it passes now that this is into law how can we best help you yeah once it once it becomes law we'll definitely you know try to incorporate that in and even now start thinking about it because it's not it's not that dissimilar to what we're already doing I and mean, we're already looking at opportunities to convert money to Roth or spend from an IRA account when to lower your future mandatory distributions so there, there's things that we're already doing to kind of address this for clients. It will become more important now. Um, I mentioned before the last segment about, uh, you know, the, the bigger impact possibly being to accounts that are the beneficiary is a trust, basically because there's there's really two kinds of trust that an IRA can, that can inherit an IRA, and it's going to be either a conduit trust, which pays the RMDs directly to the beneficiaries, and no, nothing remains in the trust, so the beneficiaries just pay the tax on those on that money that comes out of the mandatory withdrawal um, directly. So the trust doesn't pay any tax. The other is is a uh, discretionary trust, which is basically retains the can retain the RMD money in the trust. So you take the mandatory distribution, it goes out, but the trust retains that money. Well, if you think about it, after 10 years now. The, that conduit uh, conduit trust is going to cease to exist because all the money has to be distributed out. So the beneficiaries will have received their share. That trust will be gone. So if you're planning on using this as a sort of an estate planning technique to, to preserve a, a trust for your beneficiaries, it's going to have to be a discretionary trust. Well, the problem with that is the tax rates on trusts are very condensed. The brackets are condensed. So uh, if you're above $12,750 in income for 2019, then that trust is in 37% bracket, which is the highest marginal bracket. Sure. So all kind of, of those things. Kind of wipes that out as a, as a potential it, estate planning tool. Yeah, it, it makes the estate planning a lot more difficult. Um, you know, So I would recommend if you have a trust that's inheriting an IRA to get with your financial advisor and try to start planning around that and how you're going to address that situation. Yeah, and we can help with estate planning too. Again, the number is 770-429-9166. Uh, you can call in and ask for our state planning uh, department, and uh, we can patch you right through to those folks. Or you can ask for Jennifer Thomas or Casey Smith. Either one of them can help you get to uh, where you need to be and uh, get those questions answered. All right, guys, uh, as uh, I was just hawking, you know, we always look for financial questions from our listeners and uh, we got one this week from our good friend Tom Morris, who called in and uh, talked to our producer. Says his 16-year-old grandson has a small investment account and wanted to know if it was a good time to buy ExxonMobil, Chevron, and Berkshire Hathaway. Um, those are the stocks he's interested in. You should um, definitely buy Berkshire Hathaway. Get you some of that Dairy Queen. <laughs> get you a Moana cake. It's Moana. Moana. Right. Uh, so, you know, he must uh, must have a, a decent bit lying around if he's going to buy all three of these. Um, Exxon, Mobil, Chevron, both are energy stocks. Berkshire Hathaway is officially a financial uh, because it generates most of its revenue through uh, uh, through insurance, the owner of Geico. But it also owns many other things. So Berkshire Hathaway, in my opinion, is is more like uh, buying a mutual fund traded on the stock exchange. Um Owner of Dairy Queen, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Shaw Carpets, uh, Burlington Northern, 
Railway, um, I don't know. There's there's a whole lot of them. Um, many of which, uh, you know, the the biggest portion is uh, direct insurance or reinsurance, which is uh, insuring, uh, kind of helping other insurance companies insure uh, their book of business. But uh, what it all boils down to at this point, to be honest, um, I'm looking at the economic situation, and and uh, I would say. It's probably best to go with as, as limited risk as possible. Chevron and Exxon are almost like buying the same company, to be honest with you. Uh, their profitability is very similar. Their their uh, cost of capital is similar. Their their um, valuation is is very similar at the moment too. Uh, probably the the more attractive of the two is Chevron, uh, and and I don't know why you would want to to overlap that big. Um, one thing I would encourage him to do is, is be as diversified as possible. If you only have the the uh, funds to purchase one of these two companies, I think it would be best to buy Berkshire Hathaway because it is more diversified. Mm -hmm. uh, it generally tends to do well in downturns, although every one of these is likely to lose uh, something if we did see a recession. Well, it's a value play, just kind of right. it's not that dissimilar to the way that we invest in Berkshire right. Hathaway. Being you know he's he's buying these companies based on fundamentals and right. valuation. If uh, if you think about maybe he wants some some uh, income to watch the dividends uh, grow cash in his account, Berkshire Hathaway is not the one. Uh, okay. Warren Buffett's been very honest about telling you he will never uh, pay a dividend out of his stock as long as he's in control of it uh, because he uses that cash uh, to make purchases of, of uh, other companies, and, and he likes to buy the whole company, although there's a lot of stocks that he's invested in that he doesn't own the whole company. Um, he prefers to do it that way, you know, buy the whole uh, buy the whole shooting match, and then he backs off and lets managers who are in place already do their thing, and he, he gains the uh, cash that it generates. Well, I think it's impressive that the person is 16 years old and thinking sure. about these kind of things and hopefully he wouldn't be interested in the dividend and would allow that money to continue to grow and be put back into the portfolio and right. that's where you're going to see the biggest effect on the growth yeah now if he if he did kind of like buffett's doing right buffett is is allowing the cash to grow, grow and he but then he reinvests it, it. Exactly. yes you can do it that way right and uh you know if you're looking like i say if uh, in 2008 was our highest oil price ever uh, it was also one of the worst recessions we'd ever had. Mm -hmm. Oil got up to $140 a barrel. When you see the dollar decline in value, uh, one of the things that you also see in the market is is uh, those assets, hard assets that are that are uh, uh, priced in dollars, actually tend to grow in value. So uh, it might be a decent play at the moment, but uh, still, you know, if you want the best diversification. Berkshire Hathaway. If you want a dividend of 4-plus percent, ExxonMobil. We're going to take a real quick break. You're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back. This is Money Talks. We're back. You're listening to Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon here with Casey Smith and Jennifer Thomas. And uh, we've covered a lot of ground today, um, talking about stretch IRAs and, you know, investments. 
by a young investor. Uh, we've got another question that kind of piggybacks on that. This is from Martin from Forest Park. says, I like to fiddle with my stocks and do some of my own trading at times. It's a play account, uh, but I do take it seriously. No penny stocks or day trading. As such, I get emails on the best buys. Uh, the latest is 10 stocks to buy that look attractive, and uh, there are some big names. ExxonMobil, Bank of America, Pfizer, and UPS. Are these undervalued at the moment? Are they actually worth buying? I tell you, uh, if you look at a company like ExxonMobil, yeah, it, it looks relatively attractive. Uh, and when I say relative, it's relative to some of the others in the market. Uh, Bank of America is likewise. Pfizer has been beaten up with so many of the other uh, stocks in healthcare, and UPS got got a, a pretty serious kick down a few weeks ago. Um, the thing that I would say is it's this is really, in my opinion, more of an allocation decision. If you think about it, ExxonMobil's an energy stock, Bank of America's in financials, a bank, um, Pfizer, obviously healthcare, UPS is uh, industrial. So of these, KC. I'm going to say not Bank of America. Not Bank of America. I would also say not UPS being a being a uh, industrial. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got uh, you know a lot of uh, issues with its with its debt. Uh, they did this on purpose, but it's one of those stocks that uh, has has done a lot of uh, buybacks uh, over the last few years. In fact, it did it and talked about it that it was a a reorganization of the financing of their operations. So uh, they do use more debt than they use equity uh, to to uh, invest the money. Uh, there's a long-winded reason why they might do that. Obviously, as investors, we look at cash flows. Um, look, at the, because of that, though, if they've been doing buybacks, then it's probably going to make their price-to-earnings ratio look more attractive than, it, than it really is. So yeah. it may look undervalued when in reality... Right. If you look at the underlying financials, cash flows, EBIT, price to EBITDA, price to sales, things of that nature, it's probably a little more uh, not not quite as attractive. Yeah, and what also it does is uh, it lowers the the overall value of their equity, yeah. so it makes the return on equity a lot uh, more attractive. You know, there's certain profitability issues that you can uh, enhance. Yeah. Uh, Financial by engineering. It definitely is financial engineering. Now, you know, am I throwing rocks at them? No. Uh, local company, uh, CFOs, one of their main jobs is to, to make their cost of capital as low as possible. Um, you know, when you can borrow at the rates that are available in the market today, uh, it really gets to the point where it doesn't make a lot of sense to spend, uh, you know, more money by issuing capital uh, in the form of equity when it might cost you somewhere between 7 and 9% when you can uh, uh, just issue more debt at 3 to 4. Yeah, with interest rates being as low as they have been over the last, I mean, 10, 15, 20 years, it's, uh, that's why we've seen a lot more of this and companies reorganize, reorganizing and, and changing their capital structure a little sure. bit to, to make it more uh, debt financed and then buying back their own shares to right. help you know, while share prices have increased a lot, uh, especially over the, since the last recession, um, the price relative to their earnings is not, it's not all look, that uh, expensive. It doesn't look all that expensive. Right. But uh, a lot of that's due to some of these financial engineering, you know, tactics, uh, strategy. Right. I mean, like you said, uh, this part of the CFO's job, right? It's not. It is. It and is. There's nothing wrong or illegal about it. It's just that's just the way 
the way it works. Right. Um, if you look at uh, at price ratios like the price to sales or price to EBITDA, mm-hmm. uh, EBITDA is more of a cash flow type um, measure. Uh, sales is one of those that you can't really do much to to engineer. Right. Uh, if you look at those measures, uh, the overall market right now looks to be priced more like uh, the tech bubble, right. top of the tech bubble, than it is. You know, it's overall longer term average. You got a PE on the S and P 500 at about 19.5 at the moment. Long term average is 16.5. Doesn't sound like it's terrible out of whack. It, it is a little expensive. But when you look at some of these other measures, you get a much different picture. So uh, I would encourage you, if if uh, these are your options, ExxonMobil sounds good. Pfizer's going to be decent. Uh, I think those I'd are going to be defensive, too, relatively yeah. speaking. I mean, ExxonMobil, right. you already mentioned oil prices not really being correlated all that closely with the broader market. But ExxonMobil would probably go down if we have a recession, uh, as would Pfizer. But more than likely, they would hold up better than some of the higher right. growth-oriented companies. That would be my take, absolutely. So that's that's the answer that uh, that I prefer to stick with. All right, uh, we've got another question here. Diane from Kennesaw says, I found an article online about the average retirement savings uh, by age with data from the Government Accountability Office. I'm late 30s, so closer to 40, and I have more than 63,000, but definitely less than the recommended three times my salary. Am I doomed? Well, I don't think um, Diane is doomed by any means. Uh, you know, it, I love when you see studies or articles or recommendations on this is how much you need in order to be able to retire, and this is where you should be at this point in your life, and and one of the biggest factors that they don't ever talk about is it's more going to depend on how much you want to spend is how much you need to save. Right. So you, um, there is no set amount. You see articles all the time. By the time you retire, you must have $2 million. Yeah. Well, I, how do you know that I need $2 million? Well, how do you know that Diane isn't like a teacher who's going to work for 30 years and then, and then retire get a pension. with a, a yeah. nice right. pension that's going to cover most of her living expenses or a whatever? Lot of, or, a lot of folks within our earshot, Southern Company, it's yeah. another one that, that still right. provides a pension. There's there's a good many of them out there, and so, that does impact how uh, much you need to I always to save. find it laughable when these company or these I guess this in this case it's a government agency. The yeah. accountability, the accountability agency. Yeah, <laughs> um, throwing these now, numbers. Now out they're there. holding like, us accountable. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's it's very interesting that it, it it really is more dependent on how much you spend. We have clients that have multi millions worth of assets and dollars and investments and will never be able to retire because they spend too much. Right. And then we have clients that have $300,000 and are retired and living comfortably. And because probably they don't will spend, never yes. touch the 300000 they Right. Have. So it just really, you know, the, you know, I hate to say it depends, but what I would recommend to Diane is to go out, you know, talk to somebody, have someone do a financial plan for you. It's never too early. The one thing that I will tell you is like the, the gentleman that you were talking about who's 16 that's interested in stocks. Sure. He's going to be much better off. Because the earlier you save, the more it's going to compound on that growth. And it's not when it goes from 100000 to 200000 or 200000 to 400000 
or even 400,000 to 800,000. But when it goes from 800 to 1.6 and 1.6 to 3.2, that's where you're getting. So the earlier you start saving, the better off you're going to be. And there's an old, old kind of a rule of thumb, the rule of 72s. It's, uh, it's actually more of a math thing than anything. Uh, so basically, if you think about it, um, the, the market uh, has given us 10.5% since 1925, meaning that we would have every seven years, basically, a doubling of those assets. Right. If you start at 16, you get a couple more doubles in than you yeah. get if you start at 30. Right. Uh, so and that makes it, a huge difference. I it mean, really it's, does. It's exponential. But to be fair, most people, when they're 16 or in their early 20s, you know, they're getting married, they're buying a house, they're having children. These are not your what what we call the windfall years. Right. You know, when your kids get out of college and then, you know, all you're at your higher earnings potential, it's never too late to try to make up and try to begin saving in a, a much larger quantity as you grow and the government notifies us that this is okay after we're 50 we can save more correct iras as well so it's it's a pretty common concept yes um but at the same time you know it's it's not too late but your situation is unique to you right and that's one of the things that here at hensler financial we do is uh in creating a financial plan uh we look through all of those types of details uh you know consider consider uh uh, how much you make and how much you spend, which mm-hmm. is, as Jennifer pointed out, one of the very important pieces, because uh, just because you have a lot doesn't mean you will always have that. Uh, right. You know, if, you, if you've if you developed an appetite for spending, it's going to be there. And, and the point about the 16-year-old is also valid. If you learn at an early age not to eat everything you make, uh, you tend to create a habit long term. Right. So, you know, not only are you benefiting yourself with those extra doublings, but you're also you're also helping yourself in in uh, that habit. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this is about all the fun we can have in one show. Uh, thank you for listening to Money Talks. KC, market up or down this week? I think up. Jennifer. Up. There we go. You know I'm a broken record. Catch you next week. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in the Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.